I snap the ball, and there's just this horrific splash. It's time to join the stink tank. The analytics people that I hate, I hate your guts. They don't play football, they play quarterback. I'd be the easiest guy in the world to kidnap. Mark Schlereth. This Every Tuesday with Wyman and Bob. Well, we look forward to it every week. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He's the one, the only Mark Schlereth. How are you, man? I am doing good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. You know, we were just talking about something uh, before we get into particulars of the coaches and teams and all that. Uh, Another story comes out, another record in terms of viewership for these title games. They averaged over 55 million viewers for each game. The NFL, when it feels like it can't grow anymore, it can't get bigger, it gets bigger. And and we all complain about the, the, the officiating and the rules and the this and the that, and it doesn't seem to have an impact, Mark. And I was asking Dave and, and our listeners, is there anything you think that could turn you away from the game to where you go, you know what, I'm just done watching it? Because I, I, I really don't think outside of a monumental shift and it's now flag football, something like that, I don't think there's anything that turns people away. It just continues to grow. Yeah. Uh, it, you're selling crack to crack addicts. So, <laughs> I mean, like, it's a pretty easy business plan, you know, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, I don't I don't know what would – I don't know what would deter the American population from consuming this product because, it, like, Brady – Tom Brady came out and said it's just not a very good product. He's 100% right, but it doesn't matter because – People don't care, and and you know, and ultimately, it's not like when when we grew up or when Dave and I grew up. You know, it, it's funny. Like, I was doing a I was doing a game um, in Chicago right after they traded for uh, 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 Montez Sweat, and so Montez Sweat comes into the you know we're coming into production meeting. Montez Sweat comes in there, and you know, and we dap up and kind of hug, and, and he's like, "Man, you're you're thick. Did you used to play?" And I was like. Yeah, I played a little bit. He goes, college? I go, yeah, I played in college. And <laughs> he's like, ah. And my producer goes, yeah, he uh, played in the NFL. Three, he won three Super Bowls. And uh, he played where you just came from a week ago. I go, yeah, if you ever walk through the facility that you walk through every day for the last six years, uh, there's pictures of me hanging up whole bunch of Super Bowls. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> but you know, I don't say that to make fun of the guy. I say that to say, we grew up watching the game. We grew up understanding the history of the game. Most of the players today grew up, their, their love for professional football came from playing Madden. Like they don't have a sense of the history of this game, and, and, and they just don't. And, you know, it's just, it's just different than it used to be. I'm not saying it's worse, but it's just different. And I think most people don't have a, a sense of history like we did for what the game is. So they're, they've grown up used to – what I think is an inferior product, and that's and and obviously they think it's awesome because they don't know any different. Yeah, that's funny. On a lesser level, I won a hundred dollars from Sam Adkins because uh, I told him there's no way um, Richard Sherman and Doug Baldwin would know I played football at Stanford, and I won a hundred dollars. I mean, it, it's <laughs> it it is it's so it's so different, and you know you're right, and I think because of that. You get a lot of kind of raw players, like uh, Boye Mafe is a guy, I think he started playing like his sophomore year in high school, yeah. and he didn't. He wasn't like a junkie. So it, it's kind of like he's he's learning things almost, you know, over the last couple of years. You've seen him kind of, uh, you know, slowly sort of take the game in. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, Madden, and did you even know how to play Madden? 
No, I don't. I mean, I yeah. I don't play I don't. video games. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know why? Because you're a grown man. <laughs> well, I am a child, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's it, it just doesn't. Just not a, a interest to me. Yeah, boy, Dave taking shots at everybody behind the glass right now. <laughs> I'm looking at a bunch yeah. of twenty, thirty somethings, you know, in there, and I just giving them a shot there. No, um, now yeah. what? So let's get get to the games. Um, what, what was the most compelling game? What was the most the story that uh, that stood out to you? Was it Dan Campbell going for it on fourth down over the weekend, or was it uh, you know Mahomes and Kelsey? That connection was ridiculous. What stood out? Yeah. Uh, you know, really for me, Dave, I, I go back to 1996 and, you know, Denver Broncos, number one seed in the NFL playoffs yeah. and the divisional round, we're going to play the Jacksonville Jaguars and coming off a bye. And this is a problem I have in, in the NFL right now. And this is an epidemic to me is I, I talk to coordinators and offensive play callers, you know, and head coaches and everybody talks about, hey, we got to get into this premium play. We can get this premium play, and it's all premium plays, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, if I hear premium play one more time, I'm going to vomit. <laughs> and, you know, it, and the point being is we're going to make sure that we check out and get into this perfect scenario. And if you show me this defense, we're going to get to this. And, and that, you know, and, and so I go back to this 96 game that we had against the Jacksonville Jaguars with the number one overall seed. I come home on Wednesday, we're eating dinner as a family, and my wife just goes, what's wrong? And I go, we're going to lose. She goes, what do you mean you're going to lose? And I go, listen, this game plan is so complicated. We're the best rushing team in football, and based upon the way they line up on the defensive side of the ball, they can make us check out of every run. Just based on that. Mm. And guess what happened? We line up against Jacksonville. We average over six yards of carry, and Terrell gets it. I think Terrell Davis gets it 12 times. He averaged almost 30 carries a game. Hit over eight, like 1,800 yards, 1,700, almost 1,800 yards. And we give it to him 12 times. Why? Because we're going to get into premium plays. And I look at Baltimore. What are you doing? Your running back's got six carries? Like, do you know how hard it is? Dave will know. Like, all of a sudden, you play a team that runs – Zone read, it's almost an option situation where your quarterback can kick, can pull it, and if the defensive end pinches down, he can pull it and he can get around the edge. And so if he hands it off, the defensive end kind of surfs it. Well, nobody on the backside constricts because they're so worried about the quarterback pulling the ball that there's automatic huge cutback lanes. They're the number one rush team in football, and you don't give it to your running backs, and you don't have design QB runs. You have one that went for however many yards on fourth down and one. But, like, every team I've talked to that has faced Baltimore, the whole game plan is can we make Lamar be a drop-back passer because it's not what his his strength is. And it was like Baltimore just decided we're going to out Mahomes Mahomes. Mm-hmm. How dumb can you be? Like, that dude is – that he's a unicorn. Like, you're not going to out Mahomes Mahomes. It's like Baltimore just decided we're going to prove that our quarterback is a drop back, you know, eviscerate you from the pocket guy. And what they proved to me was they're dumb. (laughs) Okay. I I just ended. That was an exclamation. You're supposed to to say the end. Yeah, the slammer on the end of that one. Yeah, okay. (laughs) 
Hey, hey, Mark, you know, what what the Chiefs' defense has become is pretty impressive, and Steve Spagnuolo getting a ton of credit, as he should. But to to do what they did against the Ravens on the road and hold them to a touchdown in the first quarter and then a late field goal in the fourth quarter, and that's it, when the the Ravens were crushing teams, crushing good teams, the 49ers and the Dolphins and all these, you know, they they weren't just beating up on the, on the, the lousy teams, so... That was remarkably impressive. But do you look at Spagnolo as a guy sort of like Josh McDaniels in that they are great coordinators? They're just not head coaches. I was in St. Louis when Spagnolo was the head coach of the Rams, and it, it didn't go well. It, it was it wasn't a good fit. Is are do you look at him as one of those guys that just yeah, it's not his calling, but he's a tremendous coordinator. He's a, yeah, he's a great coordinator. He's a great guy. Uh, and, and yeah, and there's there's some guys that that's you know. That's kind of quote unquote the Peter principle, you know. There you rise to the level of your confidence, and and at least he, you know, he probably knows that, and he knows where he fits, and uh, and, and that's fine. I mean, he's he's great at what he does. They have done an unbelievable job with that defense. Um, you want to talk about, you know, the offense or excuse me, the the defensive backfield, the coverage complementing the rush and the rush complementing the coverage. They do a great job with that stuff, and they are one of those teams that has the ability. To press you, to reroute you, to you know, and, and to hold up long enough for that rush to get there. Um, and, and they really started last year. When you think about it, they were playing at one point um, when they got into nickel and, and like dime situations. They were playing seven rookies last year, and and you know, look what it's become. They have become they're the they're the number two scoring defense in football, right behind the Ravens, and I think they're the number one scoring defense in football after half. Uh, you know, with the halftime adjustment stuff. So, uh, yeah, incredible job by Spags, and, and they've got a great young defense, and um, and it's the best defense that Mahomes has ever had. So, you know, even when they had that lead and they were just kind of milking the clock and Baltimore was, you know, helping them out by being stupid and creating a bunch of uh, personal fouls, um, you know, they didn't have to go down and score. They could They could just rely on that defense to shut them down. Hey, so um, you know, tell us about your take on on Dan Campbell. Lots lots of arguments why. First of all, you know the the fourth down things. Those those field goals aren't guaranteed. Everybody's talking about oh yeah, it's a it's a guaranteed three points there. And then the other thing is that's just kind of what he has done, and that's what got him there. And talked to you yesterday about you know going out and playing prevent defense when you only practice it for five minutes a week. Um, to me, I I thought I thought he was right on, um, and you know I. I love that game. I just think San Francisco is better. But uh, what was your takeaway from that game? Did you have any complaints about Campbell? First of all, I yeah, I know I love Dan. I love Dan. I just I I tend to be more conservative, and you know I, I hear all the Dave. I hear all the well. That's what he was all season long, and stay true to who you are. Well, you know that's again that's like listening to math nerds about the analytics. Like you got to play the game the way the game falls in front of you, and it's the NFC Championship on the road and you know there's part of me that says hey the fourth down and two you know reynolds drops that ball you know i get the going for it right there but automatically come down and score and one thing i know about momentum like if you do kick the field goal if you make it and again this these are all hypotheticals but then you go to a tv timeout then you kick off and you go to another tv timeout and the next thing you know that offense hasn't taken a snap they've been standing there stagnant for eight to ten minutes and like you, you eliminate the opportunity to get momentum. 
if you go up by 17 in that situation with seven minutes left in the third quarter, now all of a sudden, you know, doing what you do and running the ball and some of the stuff that you want to be able to accomplish, you know, you feel like, oh, we're down three scores. It, it feels a lot bigger than it is. And then the the one that, like, but I understand that one. The one that I was just like, no, you like to make it 27-27, I think you've got to kick that field goal. And the whole thing about, you know, well, this is who Dan has been. Well, at the end of the first half, they kicked the field goal on fourth down and two. And, like, so, like, I just thought, I just thought, and I tend to be a lot more conservative. I'm a hell of a lot more conservative than Dan. I don't understand the NFL's aversion to points. Like that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So we hate I points. Like, no, like I I got to win three Super Bowls and I was on really good teams, but you know how we did that? We scored more points than the other team. What? Did. So scoring points, I think is important. <laughs> now I could be wrong. But like maybe that the math doesn't work out on that. But I'm for scoring points. Typical offensive player. Look, at yeah. he, he puckers up. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna have yeah, to run that happens. by a math nerd to see if he's actually right about more points being good. We'll we'll, we'll get a right. yes. we'll get a we'll get one of your analytics guys on the line right now. I'll wait. Hey, so what was your uh, you know Purdy's been such an, a fascinating topic. He's he's very polarizing for a guy who just seems like the the boy next door who's very humble, quiet, just kind of minds oh. his business. He's incredibly polarizing, and in this game, it was so, it was so interesting to see who he was in that whole offense in the first half versus the second half. I mean, he you know he his completion percentage wasn't great in the first. He threw a pick where he he got his arm hit. He threw for you know minimal yardage. Second half, 13 of 16, 49 rushing yards which were crucial. Touchdown pass. I mean it just is it even if you hate the 49ers which we kind of do. Don't you have to acknowledge yeah, he's not 6-4. He doesn't have the cannon arm, but he is a good quarterback whether you like it or not. He, yeah, he's really he's really good. Like, you know, you could sit there and call him a game manager. I think I told you guys this. I asked him in a meeting, um, hey, people call you a game manager. What does it mean to you? And he said, he said uh, and I quote, anybody who calls me a game manager either hasn't watched the film or when they watch it, they have no idea what they're looking at. Ooh. And, you know, he was, he was bristled about it. So I love that about him. He's a really good player. By the way, the last two games – or maybe possibly collectively the worst two games San Francisco has played all season long as an offense, defense, slash special teams. And yet somehow they found a way to win both of those games. And they are predicated offensively on running the ball and setting up their play action. If Kyle Shanahan was was here with true serum and you asked him, how good are your route runners? He'd tell you they're not very good. They're like – Kittle is not the best route runner. Debo Samuel is not the best route runner. I, they're not the best route runners. They set up an offense off their running game with with play action that marries perfectly to it. They find guys that are open, uh, you know, six yard, twelve yard throws with eight yards of separation between the guys, and those guys turn into fullbacks and running backs after they catch the ball. That's what they're good at. And yet, the last two weeks. They have gone totally stagnant, line up in three-by-one or two-by-two formations, and had to be route runners. And that's not their forte. And yet, somehow, Brock Purdy has managed to bring them back from deficits in both of those situations in things that they're not good at and win a football game, not only throwing it, 
but running the ball, and he was exceptional running the ball last weekend. And, oh, by the way, tell me you don't have a lot of faith in this guy as your quarterback. The second play of the first or the third half of the third quarter, excuse me, second play of the, the the second or second play of the second half, the third quarter, he throws a dagger concept at about twenty yards, and it's a two man route. So they're in they're in west right slot, and the number two receiver, which is Ayuk, takes out the the you know runs crosses the face of the safety in a single high safety look, and Debo runs the dig behind it, which is about an eighteen yard in breaking route. And he takes the ball, turns his back to the defense, fakes the handoff. It's a two-man route to the running back, flips his hips around, flips his head around, and waits for Debo to clear and throws an absolute dime into an area, into a spot where Debo runs and catches it between five defenders. And it was, it couldn't have been a better throw. And I'm like, you don't think they have confidence in that guy playing quarterback? To, to make that call and to have that kind of success throwing the football, I just thought it was exceptional, and I think he's an exceptional young quarterback, and uh, I'm a huge fan of watching the way he plays. Hey, Mark, uh, before we go, I want to get into the coaching thing a little bit. And, you know, the Seahawks obviously just uh, talked to Ben Johnson, and now it's just Mike McDonald left. And, you know, we were sitting here questioning, like, is this really that great of a, a place that, you know, and obviously Ben Johnson, you know, wanted to stay in Detroit. And, you know, maybe we're overestimating how desirable the Seahawks job is. What's your perspective from, uh, you know, from the outside well, I think I think the Seahawks is a great job. I I think it's a it's an awesome job. I think that you know I talked to uh, Ben Johnson a couple of I don't know six weeks ago or so when I was doing a game, and he was going to be very selective. And he was just like, hey, listen, man, I don't I don't feel like I have to go anywhere. And you know he had two places in Washington and Seattle that I think were kind of hold out waiting for him. And you know and and. You know, I've heard his asking price was so much that it really scared a lot of teams off. But he's going to be very selective. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see who they end up picking up. And But I still think it's I think it's a really good job. I think it's, you know, I think the Seahawks are, um, you know, an awesome franchise, awesome place. And obviously, you know, there there is questions about, you know, going forward, who's going to be the quarterback after Geno's done. Um, there's a lot of those, but a lot of teams have those questions. So I don't think it's so much, Hey, the Seahawks aren't desirable. I think that Ben Johnson just looked at it and said, Hey man, there was one place I really wanted to go. And that was to work with Justin Herbert and the chargers. And, um, I, I don't really feel compelled to go anywhere else. So yeah, I, I just think that was one of the things And he told me he was going to be exceptionally selective. <laughs> and so like, I don't look at that as a, you know, a, a scarlet letter on the Seahawks. We shouldn't take it personally. All right, we like him again. Yeah, you, guys, you yeah. know what? It's me. It's not you guys. Yeah. Wait, you're giving you. me that? Like, right. Yeah. It's like, hey, you are awesome, and you deserve nothing but the best. And I'm just not in a place in my life <laughs> what you need. This is coming out very naturally for you, Mark. I feel like you've said this yeah. before. <laughs> this is flowing. Maybe 30 years ago. Right. Oh. Mark, great stuff. We always appreciate the time, my friend. Have a great week, and we will talk again next week. Sounds good, you guys. Take care.
There you Thanks, go. Mark. Mark Schlereth with us each and every week here with Wyman and Bob. Always good stuff. And he was he was on his best behavior today. There were no no nervous moments, right? Uh, no. Left that to me, I guess. Apparently, There's, I took that dump button. We don't um, need to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> I did like how Matt came in to, to bring it to your attention. Like, that, what did you say? That was probably not a great idea. Huh? So, that didn't seem like a good idea, did it? <laughs> yeah. And I was, was that a smart thing to I do, was Dave? In, I was entirely bolivious to what he was talking about. Uh, oh, yeah. so funny. All right. Sorry about that. Our thanks to Mark Schlereth. If you missed any of that conversation, it will be on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Just click the podcast tab. Click on our picture, and it's right there waiting for you after the show. But make sure you do one thing. What do they do, Matt? Push. Subscribe. Push. Subscribe. That's right. Push it. Uh, all right. Coming up, one coach's hiring shows a unique aspect of the NFL. We're going to roll the tape on it next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Let's roll the tape. Your in-depth breakdown of the Seahawks from former linebacker Dave Wyman. Time to roll the tape and take a look at well, a, co- a coaching candidate that was your number one choice. I was kind of, we talked about it. Ben Johnson, Mike McDonald, one and one A. I'm happy. If they get McDonald, I will be ecstatic. I will be excited. But what impresses you as you get a chance to watch more of what he does with that team? Yeah, I got a video of him just kind of breaking it down. And I sort of alluded to this last week that uh, somebody else kind of put me onto this. But it's it's just Mike McDonald sitting at a desk, and he's watching film, and he's kind of explaining what his defense does. And and basically, it's a, it looks like a very complicated defense, but, like, he'll have just one little term. And he was talking about, well, you know, this coverage is fire zone, and then this front, we just call it barrel or something. And, what it ha- and it has all kinds of, like, you're not bringing necessarily – some of them are blitzes – but um, it's not like you're bringing a ton of pressure. You're dropping some guys out. And one of the things that stood out to me, and and we'll, we'll get to the, the sound here in a second, but one of the things that used to drive me nuts when I was a player and then especially with Ken Norton's defense is when they drop defensive tackles back into coverage mm. because it's supposed to surprise people. I think he actually does it in a way that does surprise the opposing offenses because – he knows, and he says this, you know, if you have a 300-pound lineman who's 6'6", he's not going to be able to get in this hook to curl. But what they have him do is engage the offensive lineman pretty heavily. Like, you you can't tell, and then all of a sudden they pull out, and, you know, it's it's only like maybe a six-yard drop or whatever, but at least that they are, um, you know, they're selling. And so now the offensive line doesn't know who to block. And then they're always bringing guys off the edge. But I just just the way he explains things, it makes it sound very simple. And this appeals to me because I feel like our defensive players over the last two years have been running around with question marks above their heads. They don't know where they're where they're going and they're thinking too much. Bring him, drop these two D tackles now and still bring double edge. It's the same exact pressure call, but just with a different front and a different personnel group. So now these are the two guys popping out. We have double edge, all right, where we can eat up the back on one side. All five linemen right here initially are accounted for with these five initial droppers. And as we pop and drop, okay, now we can get two on the back. This is, um, we're, in, we're in really a man type idea here. So these guys, their, their coverage responsibility is, is very limited. They have landmarks on the field that they're going to. 
everybody else is accounted for in man-to-man techniques. So these guys are really not responsible for a person. So we coach this to be patient in their drop, to actually engage the guy and then pop out. That's what he's talking about, the the pop and drop, you know, uh, but engage the guy. And so then all of a sudden you're engaged and by a defensive tackle and you're looking at, okay, who do I block? Well, then he disappears. Mm. Doesn't get a huge drop, but just the way, and they don't mind playing man-to-man coverage, you know? And I felt like that was where we sort of missed the boat a little bit last year. We have some athletes Mm -hmm. and I felt like, you know, we could have, I would put spoon on almost anybody as far as man-to-man coverage goes. But then, you know, Reek Woolen, I think he's better that way. I think he's not good in a situation where he has to think too much. So just just made me think that maybe he could get the most out of our defense. Looking at the NFL, why would you point to them as the best example of the saying, one man's trash is another man's treasure? Yeah, once I put that in, I'm like, trash? Who calls the NFL trash? That's not cool. Who says that? Yeah. You know, I, one of the things I saw this morning and was thinking about Shane Waldron, because Kerry Joseph, not trash, obviously, but he he actually was an assistant quarterback coach for Geno. And so he got hired in Chicago. And the only reason I knew that is because I was watching the Senior Bowl this morning, the practices, and I was like, that's Kerry Joseph. He's got a bear shirt on. And so he went with Shane Waldron. He was part of it. And so, you know, if you look at um, what this is his bio as a new coach at Chicago. I went to ChicagoBears.com. It says, under Joseph's guidance for two seasons, Smith, Gino, uh, totaled 7,900 yards, averaged 67% completion percentage, threw for 50 touchdowns. In 2022, Smith led the NFL in completion percentage, blah, blah, blah. goes on this whole thing. And this is the guy that, that left and that we thought, you know, Gino is just middle of the road type of guy and they make him and also Shane Waldron kind of sound like a savior and I'm I'm looking at Shane Waldron I mean his total offense he was ranked 21st in total yards number 14 in the pass game Mm -hmm. 230 yards number 28 rushing the ball and then number 17 as far as points so he's kind of middle of the road and you know you look at and they're thinking hey this Kerry Joseph guy he can get the most out of Justin Fields because he did it with Geno Smith and I'm sure that's the big sales point and I'm not saying they're they're trash but if you are a Jason Fields fan or think hey he can do it you go oh man we got these fresh eyes coming in here they're from that you know awesome Seahawk program and you know this this will be a good thing So looking at some of the free agents out there in the world of the NFL, who could you see the Seahawks targeting and signing? Yeah, I think, well, if there's a, there's a ranking on ESPN, and right now the highest-ranked Seahawk, and really the only one actually in the top 50, is Leonard Williams. And I, I think they're going to re-sign him. Where'd they have him ranked? They had him number 16. And so um, you know, I think the Seahawks get some kind of compensation if they're not able to, to sign him to a free agent contract. Um, but uh, I'm looking at some of the linebackers in here, and this would mean you're not going to bring back um, you're not going to bring back Jordan Brooks, but Patrick Queen has some pretty amazing numbers with the Ravens. Is he a free agent? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the, he's on he's on their, their list of 50. And then, you know, another couple of guys Levante David, who I've talked about for a long time, although I think it's going to be really hard to get him out of 
Tampa Bay. He has just been down there. He's just a career Tampa Bay guy. And he's taken, I think, less money to stay there, so I don't think that he'll get there. But there's a guy named Frankie Louvu, an old Coug that just brings it. Carolina linebacker, I love this guy. If you want to go to like a real hitting type of defense where we're just going to punish guards, love him, love Devin White, you know, who kind of fell out of favor this year. What's that guy's name? KJ, I can't remember the, the last name. Britt, KJ Britt. He was starting more than Devin White. He was out there with Levante David. But anyway, Devin White, Levante David, Frankie Louvu, I mean, Patrick Queen. There's a lot of really good linebackers. And since, you know, you can't use up your entire draft, you've got to get a couple of linebackers in the draft. I would love to see the Seahawks sign a couple of these guys that, that I just mentioned. I, I think I saw my guy uh, Matabuike on there, on yeah, that list, too. He was very high. Yeah. And I think he's going to command, you know, a lot of money. Top dollar. I mean, if they don't, for whatever reason, if they can't bring back Big Cat, maybe they'd look that direction. I don't know what kind of money that guy's going to make. but uh, Well, four I, of the top five are defensive linemen or, tack, or defensive tackles. Christian Wilkins with the Dolphins. Matabuike, D-tackle uh, for the Ravens. Kirk Cousins is at number three. But then Josh Allen, the edge rusher for the Jags. And then Chris Jones, the interior guy for Kansas City. That's your top five. Hmm. Everybody yeah. looking for a, a big guy. And, you know, Chris Jones, he's as good as it gets. He's the number one. And I don't know what defensive linemen are getting paid these days. 18 20 if you're Aaron Donald probably so I think 18 million is the most I've heard but yeah to me it's linebacker and you look at there's there's a pretty good selection here the only the only one that kind of hurts is Patrick Queen just because that was the guy that we did not draft we drafted Jordan Brooks and I think Jordan is still he's not as valuable if you look at the numbers mm-hmm. um, he's the number 33 in their ranking anyway Patrick Queen but if you go and look he had three and a half sacks 18 pressures this year he had 103 tackles he's had he had an interception six pass breakups I mean he's made all those kinds of plays but Jordan Brooks is kind of headed that way so I think it would be interesting if you either got him or Levante David and you've got Jordan Brooks healthy then I feel like that your linebacker situation, you know, going into the draft as well, maybe get a guy there. Now all of a sudden it starts to look pretty good. But they, I think they have to do some work at linebacker in the free agent market in the offseason. I'll tell John Schneider that and make sure he gets that done. <laughs> yeah, make sure, yeah, let him know. Let him know what his, what his priorities should be in linebacker. Definitely being one of them because technically none of them are under contract except for pro bowler Nick Ballore, who's – linebacker slash special team slash fullback slash whatever you need him to be. Did that kind of sound grand though? You know, selling um, Kerry Joseph that like he was the assistant, you know, quarterback for Geno Smith who, you know, did this and we're like, yeah, I mean, I think Geno's really good and I think he's a a good quarterback, but I'm just surprised that he was attached to quarterbacks because he was a defensive back in the NFL and then we come to find that he was a quarterback yeah. in college or whatever so it was like wait is that the same Kerry Joseph the yeah. defensive back as a quarterback's coach so well, now, I, now it makes more sense I would love to see him turn Justin Fields around that would, that would be awesome him and Shane Waldron both I mean they're both good guys but yeah it was just like I don't think anybody was like whoever the coach of Geno Smith is we got to get that no. guy on our staff and but everybody looks at it differently, and Chicago obviously did. All right, coming up, there's a new villain in the NFL, and it could be a great thing for the league. We'll talk about that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. 
Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up, we got El Hombre, Michael Bradley, joining us at 5 o'clock today. You never want to miss that conversation, so that, that'll be, uh, I assume he's in a good mood. Getting close to baseball. He's a big baseball guy. See how optimistic he is about his beloved 162-0 Phillies. This should just be uh, Dave and Bob's buddies day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> just bring Your buddy all our pals Alombre, in. My buddy Mark. Yeah. It's good yeah. to have friends like that. It's good to have friends like that. Uh, I saw this this story, Dave, and I was it, I was kind of looking at it, going, "Really?" But it, the headline reads: "The Chiefs are the new Patriots, the team everyone loves to hate." I'm like, <laughs> does everybody hate the Chiefs? I, I get being getting fatigued. Like, man, they've been in the Super Bowl now four of the last five years. They've been in the AFC title game every year that Mahomes has been a starter. I mean, they're always there, so I I sort of get that, but. Just taking it literally, I'm going, but the Patriots were really kind of unlikable, and A, they cheated. They got caught for it. Belichick was just this curmudgeonly grumpy, just every press conference, just, just, they they weren't likable. Brady came off as just whiny to the officials, and I know every quarterback does that on some level, but I don't know. I mean, I I guess I get the the Kansas City fatigue because they've just been there so much. But I I guess I don't look at anybody on that team and go, can't stand that. I can't stand Andy Reid or I can't stand Mahomes or, uh, I don't know, Kelsey or Isaiah Pacheco. They seem fairly likable to me. Yeah, I think, though, that that Mahomes has kind of popped up as being that guy. And no matter how you feel about him personally – there was the one thing where he went out and complained yeah. to Josh Allen. That was not good. A lot of people thought that that was a bad look. But like, if if you like Patrick Mahomes, like I do, uh, and, I, I, and this is a stupid story, but like I, I passed him in the hallway last year when we were there, and he's like one of those guys that'll go, "Hey, what's up, man? How you doing?" You know, not just scowling and looking away or anything. I mean. I think he's a good dude. And that was his only slip-up, right? He, yeah. Outside of that, he comes off likable. He's, he's, he's. I think once that happens, then... And I think the other thing that hurt him was... Who's the... Uh, Max Crosby. Did you ever see that little... Uh, they had them both... I think they were both mic'd up. And Max Crosby was coming in and taking just a little cheap shots at him. And it was a whole like video thing done where you could hear him. He's like, hey, bro, that's not cool. And then... and. Max Crosby was doing some stupid things. Like, he came in one time afterwards and kind of punched him in the shoulder. And he was like, hey, come on, man. You know, what are you doing? I I, I get that you're – and so they kind of had a little thing. So he was kind of complaining in that video, which I thought Max Crosby was being a punk. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, you hear the thing afterwards. And so I think that those kinds of things, like, and then they always win. Yeah. So, of course, I'm going to hate him. <laughs> yeah, that part I get. That yeah. part I get just the fatigue of, oh, my goodness, the Chiefs again. I totally, totally get that, if that's your reason. But to me, the Patriots were just, they gave you ammunition. Yeah. Sort of like the Astros. They give you, not just that they're good. It's not just that they're good or they spend more money than any team or what have you. They do things to sort of foster that to sort of you know it just you already feel that way and then they throw a little gas on the fire yeah that's that's how i viewed the patriots anyway i don't think patrick mahomes is any more likable to me than brady but i think a lot of people you know and we had people from that were jets fans and that worked at the station and they hated really hated tom brady because of the division rival and all that but um didn't you feel like he became so much more likable when he went to tampa 
I felt that way. Like I, I was like, I kind of like Tom Brady. I liked. Remember when he won the Super Bowl and he stumbled off the boat? Yeah, he's drunk <laughs> out of his mind, and yeah, it was just. I was like, yes, I love this. He kind of just seemed like a guy who he showed a little bit more of his personality when he was yeah. in Tampa. He just like, oh, I kind of, I kind of like him now. He seems likable. There's something about him in 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 New England that he just fit with what they were doing. Kind of uptight and everybody's against us and kind of whiny and then again belichick didn't help things and you know spygate and all that stuff i just felt like they they gave people reasons and it just seemed to be a universal feeling amongst people in the league that they were up to nefarious doings yeah. well think think about also look at joshy boy and uh yeah and who, who's the other was the head coach of the the lions uh patricia oh matt, matt patricia. patricia yeah yep. remember he was a he was a jerk. Remember, he was a real jerk to to journalists and Joshy boy. You know, pulled that deal where he agreed. Which I got in kind of a fight with the professor about that because I was like, "Well, he didn't sign anything. He agreed to it." Well, he gave his word, and I'm like, "Yeah, but it's not on the contract." And I laid out this whole thing about, "Well, what if you hadn't signed it and somebody offered you twice as much or whatever?" Anyway, um, but yeah, he came off as kind of a turd in that situation, and then he turned out to. He basically confirmed yeah. those feelings. So, you know, you've got that. You've got a lot to hate. But I'd say, you know, it's early on as far as, you know, it's only been, what did you say, four of the last five four years? the last five years in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl. And then I think they've been to the AFC Championship. Every year that Mahomes has that been Mahomes a starter. Mahomes has been there. So, yeah, and I remember uh, the Houston game, that home game that they had. I think that was the very first year. And they jumped out to a huge lead. And you're like, you know they're going to come back. They just yeah. are. Uh, people texting in, Joe in Bellevue says, my issue is not with Mahomes, but the announcers and the talking heads that put him on this pedestal. Chiefs won the last game because of their defense. KC offense was shut down for half the game. He's not wrong. They got shut out in the second half, certainly. Well, and they had to make some spectacular plays and well, throws. And they did, him and Kelsey, or, I mean, you, you kind of it's kind of like the 49er thing where – I. I like the Chiefs. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with them. I like, I don't have any issues. I hate the 49ers. But you kind of have to acknowledge when somebody's good, like Purdy or Shanahan or what have you. Yeah. You know, you, even if you're sick of the Chiefs and you hate them, you have to acknowledge that that connection is going to go down as one of the greatest, you know, quarterback to receiver, quarterback to tight end combos in the history of pro sports or in the history of the NFL. I mean, he just, Kelsey just passed Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice, <laughs> he broke his playoff. record for playoff receptions, yeah. 152 postseason receptions. So it's just well, one surefire way of getting there is keep going to the playoffs. And yeah. that's, it's it's been an amazing team for him. I don't even know what his contract situation is, Kelsey Kel- or Mahomes. Well, Mahomes but, is making a truckload of money. We know that. Yeah, I think he didn't he restructure like it. He signed some exorbitant deal. One of one of those guys, and I think he may have restructured. I don't know where Kelsey is at financially, but. Hey, they're living up to their paydays. Yeah, <laughs> I mean those. That's a that is just a crazy, crazy connection they've got. But I don't, I don't know. I don't. I get the hate. Like, all right, enough of the Chiefs. But are they as hateable as the no Patriots? Because you know every part of it. I mean, there are people. I like Tom Brady, but then you know the inflation thing, and which I thought was overblown. But but then you know you've also got. Um, Bill Belichick, who and you're comparing him to Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Who doesn't love Andy Reid? <laughs> Andy Reid's in all the commercials, comes off as a big lovable goof. Yeah. You know, he just... Him and Mahomes both and those, what is it, State Farm yeah, commercials? Yeah, I, I guess you, I get the overexposure because, yeah, Kelsey's in a ton of commercials and Mahomes is in a ton of commercials and Andy Reid's in a ton of commercials, so... People are just like, ah, I'm sick of it. Yeah, I, I kind of get that. I get that part. But I just, I put the Patriots on a different level. 
I, and, and again, I think just outside of fatigue, they give you reasons. Well, I wonder, I mean, this is early on for comparing it to Brady and Belichick and the, their run. I'm curious, like in the fifth year of their run, how did we feel about the Patriots? Did we have all of this? Because a lot of those things came like in the, you know, teens, yeah. you know, as far as like the 12, 13, 14, around that, that time when there was more of uh, the sort of, Tomfoolery. Yeah, because they were initially a great story. Remember, I they... swear to God, if you say shenanigans <laughs> one more time, but but remember they 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 beat the greatest show on turf. They were they were going to go out there and get their tails kicked by the Rams, who had this all world offense, and they were looking to repeat. And here comes this upstart New England team with Tom Brady because Bledsoe gets hurt. Yeah, and they were this great story that you know they all walked out together. I remember that was a thing where the Rams got introduced one by one, but the Patriots all walked out together. Uh, yeah. Showed their team unity or whatever. And they, yeah, for a while were a feel good story. And then you didn't feel so good after a while. Yeah. All right. Coming up, uh, the Seahawks head coaching search has taken a turn. We're going to get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.